So when I met him, I thought he was great and he checked everything off of my list, but I was so used to people turning around and becoming suddenly horrible human beings that I was kind of waiting for that to happen. So I really let him show me who he was. Well, there was a point in time in our relationship where I'm like, holy crap, she's the one, this is exciting. We're so, we, we drive so well, there's so much in common, but she's not convinced she's dating other people. I know I have to just be okay with that. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couples Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. So we've created not only an avenue we can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Stephanie and David McPhail Sharon. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Pleasure to meet you guys. Hi. Um, You know what? Uh, We want to just kind of give a little shout out to you guys because, you know, you guys are in New York and, you know, we are in the midst of this health crisis and, you know, this is something that's pretty, pretty serious for a lot of people. And, you know, we hope you guys are being safe out there and you guys are healthy and strong and, you know, a shout out to New York. Thank you. And luckily we like each other because it is not, it's not easy for people that are best friends. I can't imagine what it's like for people that don't really like spending time with each other. Right, right. A lot of us feel like we have limited or restricted freedom and uh you know definitely being in close proximity to people for extended periods of time definitely brings out the the best and the worst in you so it definitely does it definitely does and speaking of of that we've never actually met i think you sent me a facebook message yesterday and here we are today isn't that fun so that's Mm -hmm. another new thing in our world where you know you can connect from across the country it's so cool. I think I reached out a while ago and I said, you know what? I, I have plenty of time now. So <laughs> I was reaching out. <laughs> Might as well try it again and see if we can get this together. Yeah, it's hard well, to always uh, catch up to all that kind of networking. Yep. I think those spontaneous connections can be pretty fortuitous. Mm-hmm. So why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves and you know, introduce yourselves and what is it that you do for a living? How old are you? Oh, how old are we? That's a good question. So I'm 42 years old. Um, my name is Stephanie McPhail Charon. I'm the expert in helping brilliant women date up. Um, I have a double master's degree in health and education, a bachelor's in psychology. Um, I'm a certified crisis counselor. I'm a Reiki level two practitioner, and I have certifications in nutrition and special education as well. So I, I have a little bit of a wide variety to help bring to the table to help clients um, in what I do as the expert in helping brilliant women date up. 
Well, I don't know that my resume is as long and illustrious. Uh, a little, little more simple. My name's David Sharon, of course, Stephanie's happy husband. And, uh, you know, my main focus has been Reiki. I'm a Reiki master teacher. I've been practicing that method of natural healing for over 12 years. And the other main modality I practice with our clients is energy psychology called Psych-K, which is essentially high-speed mindset change. With those two practices, um, it, it's really brought a lot in terms of helping people transform their lives quickly and uh, heal from past trauma. And how old are you? And how long have you guys been together? Well, um, I'm 44, going on 44. Oh, flies. Yeah, um, yeah we, we've been together for five years. Our five-year anniversary will be this July. And um, yeah, real quickly, we, we actually met uh, online, which I, I kind of say sort of tongue-in-cheek because so many people, I think, have a perception that you can't really meet your soulmate, quote unquote, uh, online. But I, I think we're living proof that that's that's not the case um, you know, <laughs> anywhere. Uh, but I, I think that the most impressive thing for me is recognizing that uh, having gone through our own personal hell in, in our own lives and, and you know, uh, challenges with our own personal growth, having gone through, um, you know, toxic relationships and and having to you know learn a lot of stuff. We got our emotional baggage, I think, most of, for the most part, out of the way by the time we met each other. So when we did finally connect, uh, it was really that sense of chemistry. Um, there was there was no doubt. Um, you know, I won't say there wasn't some hesitation on her part, but I, I was I was pretty certain of where this was going uh, early on. And uh, we, we just had that uh, synergy, I, I think is really a great word for it. early on. We recognized that we were on a very similar path we recognize that our passions and interests were very complementary, and uh, it, it's really just been um, really more of an adventure than a, a, an effort, which I think is a, a, an important distinction when you're looking for that, that sort of best relationship. We absolutely love that word, synergy. For some <laughs> reason, you know, it, it just hits home for us. So how did that first meeting go? Well, the first meeting was actually well. So it was I was newly kind of sort of dating because I wasn't dating for a little while because I had some stuff I had to take care of first. And so kind of in my downtime, I would look through the different you know photos, and there was something that I liked about the photo of him because of course he's playing, he's holding on to his guitar. Yeah, that's a good one, guys. Just to, you know. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> I, I thought it through. Yeah, he he definitely thought it through. But it was one of the things that I wanted on my checklist of what I wanted in a you know potential partner. So I read through it and he was super spiritual and, you know, like all the things that I was looking for were, were all in his dating application pretty much. And I, so I reached out to him and we started chatting pretty quickly. Um, and within like a week or two, we met. And when he walked in, it was like a light just came in and I was like, whoa, this guy is attractive. He kind of like shimmied on in. And I was like, this guy is very attractive. But what's funny is that the, the reason why I'm the expert at helping brilliant women date up is because I was really awful at relationships. I had only really had abusive, like literally physically, emotionally, sexually abusive relationships. So I had done a lot of work, and but I was kind of dating in the education form, kind of thinking that maybe I'm not going to be with someone. I might just stay single. So when I met him, I thought he was great, and he checked everything off of my list. But I was so used to people turning around and becoming suddenly horrible human beings that I was kind of waiting for that to happen. So I really 
let him show me who he was. So he basically, I was still dating other people and I was, I almost broke up with him. He would come to my house. He lived an hour and a half away, would drive his little car that would like die on the, on the way to visit me. And he, I'm like, I'm going to break up with him today. Today's the day we're breaking up. And then he would look at me with his big blue eyes and I'd be like, oh, there's some reason why I can't break up with him. I got to give him another try. And so I, I didn't break up with him, didn't break up. And finally I said, hey, you know what? I guess I'll date you exclusively. And he was like, yeah, that was on New Year's. He was like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, let's just try it. Let's see what happens. And we were, I mean, once I finally decided to give in and let it just be us, it was very quickly. I mean, we got married that same year. It was, it was only a few months later. We got married eight, seven, seven months later after we were exclusive. How long were you dating before you went exclusive? So we, we, we started, uh, we, we initiated contact online, uh, in, uh, late September. I think we date, we went our first date in October. We became exclusive, on uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve. And, um, and we were engaged and married, uh, July 31st of, uh, 2015. So it was, uh, it was pretty much a whirlwind romance. Can, can we back this up just a little bit? What app were you guys on and how did you guys decide to do online dating? So it was, you, you forget a lot of time. It was plenty of fish, oh, that one, yeah. uh, where, where we met. And I kind of chuckled too, because, um, you know, I, I think when I was dating for a while, I sort of had this perception. I think a lot of people do of, of sort of a hierarchy of the dating apps, you know, going from like, you know, most committed to finding a long term relationship down to, you know, I need a quick piece, you know, tonight. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I didn't get that low on the totem pole. But, uh, you know, it's like the, the eHarmony and then the Match.com and OkCupid. And then, you know, my perception of Plenty of Fish was like, all right, well, you know, let me let me dangle my bait and see what bites kind of. Pardon the pun. Yeah, and Tinder didn't exist back then, so that would have been, that would have made the list, right? <laughs> it exactly. Just I wasn't, started. I, I think. think it had just started. Just started. Um, yeah, I never never did the Tinder thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, and anyway, it was again. I, I think um, you know, the, it, it's not so much the avenue in which you meet someone that that uh, you know belies its success. It's the work that you've done beforehand. Because uh, I, again, I I think that even though it was through this silly app. Um, we were we were meant to meet, and uh, and and everything was sort of set up. I, I really feel like our, our relationship smacks of of uh, I don't know. I, I might almost say divine intervention. It just has a, a feeling of it was meant to be. Um, so I had I knew that I didn't. I'm from Long Island, New York, which is different from like every area in New York. We want to feel different from everywhere else. I'm sure you know. I'm 45 minutes away from New York City. He he was only about that far away, also, but up more. Well, I guess more across, but anyway, it's a whole other story. But so I said, I was like, I said, I don't want to date anyone from New York anymore. I've only had awful relationships. And I had dated someone before him who was from Montana. And I said, this is what it is. I need to date someone that's not from Long Island because I think that's one of the problems. I can't, it's just not for me. I was a military kid. We moved around every, every, every few years. And I said, you know, I think it's just the Long Island thing. So I specifically was on line dating because I was looking for people off of Long Island. So that was in my search engine was to look for that. And also I had a very specific list of what I was looking for. Now, what would you guys say that you learned from your past relationships? Because Stephanie, I, you know that, you know, you, you've been married before, right? Yes. And David, you, have you been married before? 
No, I have not. Okay. So, so what, what have you guys learned from your past relationships? Because we find that, you know, what people learn from that past relationship, it really, that carries into that true love relationship that you guys are talking about here, where it happens very quickly. Well, I mean, I really learned what love wasn't and what I thought it was, because to me, before I did the right work on myself, I thought that love was uncomfortable and caused anxiety. And so I actually wrote a book called Being Loved Shouldn't Hurt. And the reason behind that book was because I had never really experienced love that was calm. So even growing up, it just felt like this discomfort all the time. And that to me meant love. So there was always drama and stress and back and forth and, you know, breaking up and getting back together and then being scared for my safety. In my first relationship, he strangled me on our wedding night and I stayed for five years. Oh, wow. So I knew what was possible in relationships and I knew what I would never allow again. And so, you know, being cursed at and screamed at were things that were normal for me that I had made a conscious decision to never allow that and to actually learn about healthy boundaries and and grow my self-esteem before I started dating anyone. Because to me, I was, I would always say I'm as loyal as a dog where I will stay no matter what, but that loyalty was causing me to stay with some really toxic people. And so working on myself and being a whole person was really important in that. So when I was looking for someone to date, I was looking for another whole person. I wasn't looking for my other half. I hate when people say that. <laughs> you I, complete me. I love that. Yes. Jerry Maguire, right? <laughs> when he said, you complete me. Oh, man. Oh, I hated that <laughs> that line in that movie. Yes. Same. What about for you, David? Well... Um, it's an interesting question, and I think to a large extent, my idea about relationships and uh, in, in what I desired was formed largely by process of elimination, having been through relationships that uh, you know really showed me a lot about what I don't want. But the most important thing I feel that I've learned from past relationships is that, you know, and I, I reflect on the, the expression to be is to be related. And we often, you know, look at relationships in a sort of one-dimensional focus as far as, you know, romantic relationships. But who we choose to be affects who we are relative to our romantic partner, our, you know, uh, platonic relationships, and, and most importantly, our relationship with ourselves. So I think what I realized and, and, and the key to my success in terms of relationships was understanding that. Um, you know, success was not about finding someone, again, to complete me, someone to provide something that I couldn't provide for myself. Uh, but it really ultimately boil, boiled down to recognizing some basic principles. And it forms around the idea that my relationship with myself uh, and, and perhaps more particularly my higher self is the most important relationship because that determines how I show up in the world. And I, I'm a firm believer that you know, that sort of uh, mindset that you that you craft carries weight. It, it resonates out in the world and it has uh, an effect in terms of attracting other people and circumstances to you. So, you know, the distillation of that is an understanding that the most important relationship was the one I had with myself. I needed to be the type of person that I wanted to attract into my life. I needed to work as well as I could figure out to, to eliminate my emotional baggage I needed to learn um, to access a, uh, a an abiding sense of peace and self-acceptance and joy within myself to where 
uh, relationships no longer had the sense of neediness. And, uh, you know, once I learned that I could be totally happy, fulfilled, uh, joyful and peaceful on my own, that's where, you know, when it came to deciding to date, I had a, a much less attached feeling. Um, I was much more carefree, uh, much more authentic and uh, much less uh, sort of tied down by, you know, what I, I think so many people struggle to achieve, which is this, the, you know, seeking approval in, in uh, you know, the attention of other people. Validation, so, right? Sense. Like, that, that's the biggest thing. And I, and I can tie it back to dating Steph initially because I recognized early on that this is not some trifling, waffling woman who's going to be, you know, swayed by my my charms. I mean, she'll tell the story about seeing the picture of me on my profile with the guitar and, you know, I don't know if like Dreamweaver was playing in the background in her head when I walked in the bar. Like she talks about, you know, seeing my lips and, you know, my 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 wordy conversation sort of faded into the background as she as she swooned. Well, we'll get into that. But <laughs> that's great. Um, the biggest key to my success in relationships, and, and this was relevant in my relationship to Steph, because, again, she was redefining herself and beginning to put into practice the insights she had gained from her own healing process. And for me, the biggest thing that I had to put into practice was this sense that I had to let go. And, you know, I, I, I think about, you know, Yoda's, uh, you know, attitude, you must be willing to, you must train yourself to let go of everything you lose. Well, there was a point in time in our relationship where I'm like, holy crap, she's the one. This is exciting. We're so we, we drive so well. There's so much in common. But she's not convinced. She's dating other people. I know I have to just be OK with that. Well, and, let, well, let's get right there. Like what? How did the uh, engagement process go? Like, you know, you guys got married pretty quickly. Right. So. So what was engagement like? I, I, I can do that, but maybe you want to give your version. Well, I mean, what and what he said just before, though, was really important because I had only been with really pushy people before. So the fact that he I mean, he didn't say to me, stop dating other people. He said, I said, I'm dating other people and I don't I don't know how serious this is going to be. And he said, I'm I'm telling everybody else that I'm not interested. I'm turning off the dating apps. He's like, I'm not telling you to do that, though. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. Know that I'm here and that I want to be exclusive with you. But if that's not what you want, that's fine. He said, but at some point, just tell me if, if you have no interest in me whatsoever. I don't want to be sitting around waiting if there's no possibility of something happening. And based on past experience, just the fact that he let me be and allowed us to just be friends without trying to control and manipulate, because that's all I had ever experienced before, that gave him the, the chance. Because I would have broken up with him. That first time when I said, today's the day I'm breaking up with him, I would have followed through. So him being patient and non-pushy actually made it possible. And then, you know, we were, pretty kind of funny story, I had gotten a, um, a decal to put on my wall, and it was really intricate. And very easily, I could have seen either one of us lose our temper. And again, I had only experienced bad relationships before, so... I was, I was putting that up thinking at any minute he's going to lose his temper. He's going to finally show himself to be the person that was maybe hiding behind him like I, I had experienced before. And we put it up and there was no arguing. There was frustration, 
but there was no cursing at and screaming at any of those things. And I said, huh. And that's, so that was like another sign for me, like, okay, this is good. And then even like a, an old boyfriend came up and said, I, said, I was like, I think I told him, I said, this guy, you know, called me and he said, do you need closure on that? And I said, I think I do. And again, he didn't try to control me. And I said, who is this guy? Because <laughs> what guy would be just like, okay, figure it out. And then, you know, it was like a few of those things happened. And I said, okay, this is like, this is a really important person for me. And it was funny because we thought, you know, we actually decided I was scared to get married again, but we actually started talking about having children. And I said, you know, I'm nervous because the doctors had told me a few years before it might be hard for you to have children. You're getting older, you know, you've had some um, health issues, you might not be able to have children. So I said to him, you know, we might not be able to have children. And so he said, well, I will love you no matter what, it's okay. And I will tell you, it was, you know, pretty quickly that we got pregnant. So, so all of those things happened. But when we got married, I was actually pregnant and it was, you know, it was just meant to be the way things were. We, we thought it would be months or years or not at all have children. And we we have two little kids that were no problem at all to have. You know, one of the things I want to ask you guys about, which we used to ask couples about when we first started the podcast, and we kind of stopped because it was something they asked us to take out. And if you guys don't want to answer this question, like that's fine. Across the board. Right. <laughs> every couple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But because you guys kind of are in this same field as us and you help people with their relationships, can you talk about how soon into your relationship did you guys have sex? And was that different or similar to how you had done things in the past when you were in unhealthy relationships? I, well, I knew that I wanted to wait a little bit. And again, before I was dating him, I was, I was just out dating in the field. And so I wasn't really taking relationships very serious because I, I didn't want to be serious. Um, so when I met him, though, it was really hard to say, we're not having sex the first date. Like it was, we had gone out for drinks. Like he, was, he had these beautiful lips. He kept talking and the lips were moving. And I was like, oh, my gosh. He is beautiful. And he had just driven an hour and a half to come see me. And I was like, oh, gosh. But we didn't have sex. And I think, it, you know, I had gone to see him, a, was it a week or two later? And we spent, again, a long period of time together. And I think, you know, we find, I don't remember how many, was it two weeks, three weeks? It was pretty, I mean, it was pretty quickly. Um, but still, it wasn't right away. And I said, I, I want to make sure that he still likes me and respects me. So I was like, trying everything I could to just like, let's, let's slow it down a little bit, even though, you know, it's hard to resist this face. <laughs> well, um, yeah, we, we did uh, exercise some restraint and I'm glad for that. Um, and, you know, I know that that's an important question and, and we see it a lot also in our, our group. Um, we, we have just a really um, tremendous and fast growing Facebook group called codependency healing and creating healthy relationships and a lot of people ask the question well when is the right time and i i personally recognize you know the the force that our i might say our, our baser impulses uh, exert in the trajectory of a relationship and it, it, it's it's a challenging thing because you know on the one hand we want to you know enter into things carefully and thoughtfully and on the other hand we want to sort of submit to the the passion and the, and the momentum of it. Um, but I, I think overall, we had just reached a point where we um, <clears throat> can, could see ourselves as not only, you know, sexual beings, but also people who really valued 
the aspects of relationships that lead to more longevity. So it wasn't a flash in the pan thing, um, but there, there was passion. I, I think what really uh, helped was a, a sense of balance, you know, an understanding that, um, okay, you know, yes, we can accept that we're, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to say Tinder, a powder keg, you know, we could get, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we also, um, we also recognize that there's, uh, there are other erogenous zones such as the, the you know, the mind, uh, you know, and the ability to relate on, um, uh, other levels besides sexual. Well, and we can, I think one of the things that worked really well from the beginning is we just communicated really, really well. You know, it was just, there was no, I was not afraid to say anything that I needed to say. There was no holding back in past relationships. I definitely was secretive. Um, I definitely felt sneaky sometimes because if you're accused all the time of things you're not doing, you're afraid to just even be honest about normal little things. But with David, I didn't feel that way at all. So when it came to, you know, yes, sex was in, a, was in you know, a few weeks, but it was also, it was much more the friendship that was really being, and the, and the fact we lived an hour and a half away. So, you know, we wouldn't see each other all week. So we would talk for hours and just, you know, go, go online and talk and use Skype a lot. Um, and then we would see each other once a week and, and get to, you know, be intimate then. But there was just a lot, a lot of time to, to communicate. You know, one question that we are asked all the time is that if he or she is the one, do you know immediately? And we've addressed this question in past podcasts and everything, but... Was that the case for you guys? Did you know? I think he did, he knew right away. I had a I had a drawing feeling like when I first saw his picture, I I really did feel a, a a pull towards him. And I even remember before we even met, I was doing a yoga class, and all of a sudden I could it's like I could feel him pulling me, and so it was this it was a really interesting feeling that I had never had before. And again, I was married before, but my first marriage. When we got married, it was like, oh, I'm 28, I'm getting older, I want to settle down, he's okay, he's got the things on my list, everyone's got stuff you have to deal with, I don't want to be single because, oh, that's so terrible, you know, and I think it was much more that, I thought I was supposed to be married, I thought that that's how things just were, I, I really thought the relationships were just hard and people kind of didn't like each other, <laughs> they were just in a relationship, and so, you know, that was, I had all of those other feelings, but when I met him, it was a very different feeling than what I had experienced before. And that to me, and that's why it was so hard and confusing for me at first, because I, I wasn't really looking to be serious. I was still really looking. I loved being single. It took me a long time to get there, but I loved being single. So he really had to show who he was, but I, but I felt it the whole time. Like he felt it right away and I did too, but I had made him still prove it to me. So do you guys have a, an engagement story? Not a good one. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say it was going through the motions, but again, this, um, you know, kind of took on a, a momentum of its own. Um, it, it, again, it was just chemistry. Um, I had a strong sense that it was meant to be. And, and if I could just sort of relate, um, you know, going back to that, that last question, um, you know, as far as knowing, um, I definitely experienced something that I had never experienced before. And it, it, it was so, um, so impactful that I can still visually picture in my mind where I was and, and you know, when I first got her, uh, when I got her message, when I first read her message and started looking at her profile, I had a, a, a tangible sense of pulling 
and what I would relate to is the heart chakra area, like a, just a sense of pulling and a sense that um, I, I, I just needed to, to get heart to heart with her. You know, it, there wasn't any other thing. There's no other way I could describe it, but a sense that we just had to come physically heart to heart with, with one another. Um, and if I could, just to add on to that, that last question about knowing whether or not you know, um, a lot of people ask that question. And my answer to you would be, yes, when you know, you know. You know, like in the movie The Matrix, you know, being the one is like being in love. Nobody can tell you, you just know. And the challenge for a lot of people uh, when they ask that question is they haven't learned how to access their intuition. And just to kind of tie it up in, in, in a neat fashion, I think that accessing your intuition is a real thing. It's an important thing. And the biggest obstacle to that is the static that the, the ego mind, in a sense, kind of throws out there because we have the ability to access our innate inner wisdom and the part of us that knows the bigger picture and, and wants to see us succeed. Um, I think my you know advantage in that sense is by the time I connected with Stephanie, I had done a lot of the work to get all that crap and static and self-doubt and all that out of the way to where I could listen to the inner voice that speaks beyond words and able to uh, be able to honor that and trust it. And, and let me tell you something. When it came to her, there was a lot of trust, a lot of faith, not in her, but in myself and in my higher self. I had to be willing to let go. There was a sense of uh, facing the void, being willing to let go of everything, any, any desire to control things or any attachment to an outcome. Um, so hopefully that's, you know, kind of a useful perspective when, when people want to know, well, is it right? I believe that, yes, you will know. But you got to get good at listening to those signs and signals. You know, just, Dave, David, what you're talking about here is some really higher level work mm -hmm. that men are challenged to do. And, you and, know, and, there's. And women. And women. But, you know, what, what he's talking about here is a lot of the stuff that, you know, when, when Gene and I work with couples, I work with the husbands, she works with the wives. We do individual work, and then we come together, and we do the, the couple's work, like the four of us. But this self-empowerment, finding that level of connecting, intuition, right? Not just cognitive, intellectual, right? But being able to connect with gut and what you feel and being able to express that, you know, this is, this is really great. I mean, I love hearing this. You know, a lot of the guys that I'm talking with, it it's like you have to chisel the, the ice, you know, and they're very, very like intellectual and cognitive and they really can't get into that that space of intuition, right? Heart centered chakra that you're talking about here. And that that's really awesome that you did that that work, right? You did your reps to be able to get to this place to open yourself up to this, this relationship. And, and this is something that we believe all people, men, women should be able to do right to get to that place. And then the journey just starts. You know, for women, it's like their, their connection to their intuition has so often been challenged from the people in their lives, starting with their parents, and going through their life and so they have a feeling but they're trained to ignore that feeling yep. and this idea of being honest in a relationship 
of showing up authentically in a relationship leads to, well, then I'm going to be alone because who's ever going to really love me, right? And so we learn very early on. I don't know if you guys ever saw the the movie. He's not. He's just not that into you. Where the little girl is like, Mom, that boy kicked sand in my face. And she goes, that means he likes you. You know, like that kind of stuff. And um, and and I hear this a lot. And I know there's going to be some of the women that I work with listening to this. And that's what I, they ask me, like, what's the formula? Like, how do I know if this is this? And I'm like, you got to trust yourself. You got to trust yourself. But every time you trusted yourself in the past, didn't work out so well. And I think that's a big journey for women, too. Well, I, I think one of the big things is that people put a lot of value in certainty. And I think on a, on a level, certainty equates to inflexibility. We try to analyze, like you said, you know, people want to figure things out intellectually. And intuition doesn't necessarily speak in verbally elite language and linear logic. It just doesn't. You know, it requires... Uh, a, a willingness to let go. It, it uh, need, you know, it requires you to be able to sort of think on your feet, and uh, a big foundation to, you know, being able to uh, open up to that is doing the work to address the, you know, subconscious origin of self-esteem. Because if you're in, you know, defensive mode and, and always sort of feeling on your heels, you're not going to be as open to that. You need to have a strong degree of self-love and acceptance to where you're okay, you know, perusing the fringe. You're okay to, to, you know, consider ideas that may be contrary to what everyone else says, you know? And I think that's where intuition starts to uh, raise its voice a little bit. So let me ask you, David, here, because online dating and dating apps, they do not promote that, Right. I mean, the majority of it is really about advertisement, right? Putting like an advertisement about who you are, who you think you are who out you there. Think someone would like you. Right. To be. And who exactly, right? What, what you would want to attract. And your perception of yourself is very different than what other people see you as. So, you know, from your perspective, you know, I mean, obviously in today's day and world, people are on those dating apps and some are doing it right. Some are doing it not so right. And, you know, like when you're talking about being authentic, like how does someone be authentic? And, and you know, both of you can, can on a dating know, app. Yeah. Right. Both of you can speak on that. Right. Well, that's an interesting question. And I think there are just what comes to my mind is, is basically two schools of thought. One is that relationships are a matter of an emotional economy. When you talk about advertising, a lot of dating apps are. It's about playing the numbers. And, and that, I think, is an influence in people not being honest because they want to stack the odds in their favor. And there are these algorithms within the software and the websites that match you up, and that's supposed to create this perfect match. Well, that's one way to look at it. And, and relationships for those type of people are a matter of, okay, what am I bringing to the table, right? My assets, what do I need? What do I want? And, and what is the degree to which the other person can fulfill my needs? I, I think that's, uh, you know, a, a dangerous path to, to, to follow. For me, I think the other path is essentially recognizing that relationships are an opportunity for self-expression. You know, I, I think in its highest form, love doesn't need anything. It's happy just to be. 
And and you know the best part of my relationship with Stephanie is that it, it doesn't have it's not you know structured around this emotional energetic economy where it's like oh we got to struggle to always make sure that our needs are being met and the other person's needs are being met. It, it's more of an art. It's more of a dance, and it's more of a recognition that everything we quote unquote need in terms of love must be provided from within, and it is. And you know, it, it lends a lot more towards a carefree, uh, adaptive, dynamic, um, joyful, and creative nature to relationships. So I, I hope I kind of explained that okay. Uh, but I think it's a, a fundamental, uh, you know, difference in terms of how people view relationships. Because the the dating app, again, it's a tool, but but the relationship is is between the people and. However you meet, it, it's ultimately going to be about how you show up. Now, so for me, the, and kind of on the same thing, but I knew that if I was on the dating app, someone like me could possibly be on the dating app. So, and I'm very much an extrovert. Like, he's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I love going out and talking to people. Like, that's my favorite thing. I love hearing people's stories. I, I love all that stuff. So I knew that I could easily go meet people but I didn't want to be doing that all the time. So basically when I had my dating app up, it was a picture of me and a few other pictures. And it was also like exactly what I was looking for in a partner. This is what I am. And I was, I mean, it was very specific. This is what I am. This is exactly what I'm looking for. If you fit these categories, then reach out to me. Now, did I have people like send me messages cursing me out? Oh yeah. Did I have people not read the messages and just look at my picture? Of course. But I had already done the work enough on myself that as soon as I saw and experienced that from someone, I would say next. And, you know, I would very quickly, one of the things, if someone is on a dating app, just to throw it out there for them, my rule is normally not Fridays. Don't go out on a Friday to go meet them. It's a Wednesday and it's coffee. Don't ever do dinner. <laughs> my weekends were for me, the dating, the, you know, the dating was during the week when it wasn't taking away from my fun time. So, and it was a coffee where it was quick in and out. And I would had no problem saying to someone, hey, this is, you seem like a great guy. I'm not really interested in what you've got. If you want to stay friends, that's cool. Or if it was someone that was totally off, I'd say, you know, it just didn't really work out for me. And that was it. I was very, I practiced being very, very honest and just being comfortable with them not liking that I was honest. I just allowed that to happen because that wasn't my problem. Were you guys consciously or subconsciously intending when you put up your profiles? Did you have an intention to find a certain person that you wanted to spend your life with? Yeah, I mean, I had a, I was very specific. I had, I knew even how tall I knew, and I added ball to the list before I wanted a musician. I wanted someone spiritual. For all I, your listeners out there, he is bald. Yes, <laughs> you can't, you can't see that, right? <laughs> you want, but it was, and I mean, there was, I wanted someone who's six foot three. Um, I, Light hair was on the list and then bald suddenly became on the list. And it was, I had dated some people and I was like, okay. this. And so there were certain things that I wanted. And I, but I remember, I didn't care if I stayed single for the rest of my life. So as soon as people didn't check off those things on my list, it was next. I had a very specific feeling of who I was looking for. And so when I found David, it's, I had found him and it was, and once I found him, I didn't feel like I needed to look anymore. I mean, and even now, you know, I, I'll go out and I'll be like, oh, that guy, we'll go to the gym. And I'll be like, oh, that guy's got a nice butt. And it's him walking by. I'm like, I can't even look at a nice butt without it being his. Like, 
I ruined it. You ruined it. But I, but I have no, you know, it's just interesting because once I, I found it, I think before I kept hoping someone would come and find me or come and save me is really what I was looking for. I was looking for my knight in shining armor. I realized in my own work, I was the knight in shining armor. Um, but finding him, it was it was all the things on my list, all the things I was looking for, my my non-negotiables, my okay, that's kind of in the middle, and my have tos, like or my can'ts. Those were all there on the list. And so when I, when we started talking and he was checking all those off, I said, okay, this is definitely. So yeah, the intention was I'm either going to be single or I'm going to find this guy, and that was it. Yeah, we believe you can't be in a healthy relationship unless you're okay by yourself. And you're willing to leave the relationship if the non-negotiables happen. Agreed. You've got to be ready to be uncomfortable, and that's okay. Yeah. So for the two of you guys, when you got married, it was like instant family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much ready-made, yeah. Well, and people laughed because he was still living at his apartment an hour and a half away in the beginning. So he had to still finish up his work because he was working for American Cancer Society so he was still working Monday through Friday at his job, and then he'd come on weekends to come visit. And I had friends that say, no wonder why you guys get along so well. You don't live together. <laughs> you guys will be married forever because you're, you're not. And I said, no, we're not going to do that forever. But he moved in in October. It was October, and then our son was born in January. So, you know, we were, yeah, when he moved in, it was pretty quickly like, all right, we're, we're in a family right now. So, was- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, David. And, and it was fine. It's the way it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, we were kind of instant family, too, when, when we got married. So what was that transition like for the two of you? Well, we didn't know anything better. I mean, we, well, and I had a roommate. So when he moved in, I still had a roommate. So we were still kind of just like, so I you had were a married. Roommate. You were married and not living together. And you had a roommate and you were pregnant. And then you guys all got together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I had the baby and the roommate left. So we didn't even have just him and I until we had the baby. And it was, so it was never, we never just had him and I. So what did, what did you guys learn during that time then? Um, well, one, one story that kind of comes to my mind is that I had gone skydiving for the first time the summer before she and I met. And I think um, that lent itself a, a lot to my, willingness to say, uh, F it, damn the torpedoes, you know, we're going in this direction. Let's, you know, let's have faith and have fun. That, that's yeah. crazy. Cause one of our first dates, Jean took me skydiving <laughs> Nice. and our, my primary shoot with, with my, my guy, what the lines were tangled. So we had to cut away and go to the reserve shoot. <laughs> God. That was my first I, experience. I've jumped out of an airplane three times. If that happened any of those times, I would have <laughs> never done it again. <laughs> that is scary. <laughs> well, I haven't done it since, so. <laughs> well, well, I'm sure that's in there. <laughs> what would you guys say are some of the challenges you've been through? I think, I mean, just learning. We, I mean, we got together. I was 38. He was 40. Um, and so we both kind of had our way of doing things. Um, but I, I think that, I think that was really important was, and, and one of the biggest lessons I think from David that I've learned is it's okay to apologize. I, previous relationships and growing up, 
I never heard I'm sorry. I think actually the first time I ever heard I'm sorry from my mother, I think I was 38 years old. We were just dating. And I said, because I, I actually wasn't even speaking to my mom at that point because I'd put in a really hard boundary with her. And so we hadn't spoken. I said, I really want to get this taken care of. Let me try to talk to her. So I, I talked to her. I, I actually told her all the things I had to say. And she actually apologized. And I said, David, look, you helped me write this this email. Like, thank you. I've never seen her say I'm sorry. And since then, she actually say, started saying sorry. But I had not heard that for so long. So practicing the I'm sorry and not having to be right or that I was wrong or, or deficient because I had messed up or even if I'm sorry, I'm sorry that you're hurt, you know, something like that. I think another thing too is that we've learned and sometimes we forget, you know, I'll say I'll, I forget, definitely. Um, I like to talk things out until it's done. So I wanna keep going. He wants to like hear the, what the issue is and then give space and talk about it later. And so that's something that I think pretty early on, we weren't figuring that out right away. And I was feeling really frustrated that he didn't want to listen and he didn't want to deal with it. And we finally talked about it. I said, what we need, like, what's going on? I don't want to leave this hanging. What, why are you getting like teenage David and like frustrating and pulling back? And he said, well, because I need, I'm like upset that you're hurt and I need to think about it before I can come back and talk about it. And I said, well, is that all it is? So I just tell you what it is. And later on, we couldn't, he's like, yeah, that's what it is. And when we do that, it normally works out, you know, it works out pretty well, but we had to figure that out because if not, it could have just escalated because I would want to talk and then he'd get frustrated and then we would just start, you know, getting worse and worse. But once we figured that out, it made it a lot easier. Before David, before you give your response, I just want to say that's really awesome because that finding that balance between the two of you I mean, that's something that a lot of couples struggle with in figuring that out. And they think that one is right and one is wrong. And, you know, they don't they don't figure out that there are strengths and limitations in both. Right. So for David, what, what about you? What, what did you learn? Well, I, I think that's uh, an important point. And, and I think it kind of speaks to the idea that people tend to expect love to be the way that they love. And, you know, it kind of speaks to like the love languages and stuff like that, because we recognize and realized eventually that we had the same goals and, and aims. We just had different ways of, of getting there. Um, so, you know, that, that communication piece and, um, you know, being willing to not, you know, be right all the time, you know, sort of, of keeping that 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 synergy and that and that uh, higher vision uh, of, of unity in front of you at all times um, is, is really important. And, and I think another key distinction for me in understanding, and I, I sort of recognized this before I even found Stephanie, um, is that, you know, th this is not a, um, like marriage is not a, a prize. I always thought of like, oh, you know, people, you know, put so much emphasis and importance in marriage and well, it's just a piece of paper. Well, you know, what I distilled from, from that is that, you know, nothing is constant except change and that's true within ourselves and our relationships who we are continues to change and evolve um, and a relationship is not like a carved in stone thing where you say okay these are the rules we have vows nothing can you know deviate from this it's hard and fast you know um i, I think you know an important understanding for me was that you know i still am growing i still am learning as as wise as I sometimes think I am, you know, there's plenty that I don't know. And, and there's also, um, you know, a, 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 an importance in honoring 
the uncertainty, honoring the the fact that we change and grow and and you know to to a degree that we may not have even anticipated. Um, you know, and, and I think one of the biggest uh, assets to a relationship is um, accept unconditional acceptance, really, and, and honoring the need to adapt. So, yeah, we we went into this with you know some some straight flush kind of hands here, um, you know, and then we realized as as we were going, you know, it wasn't. I don't know if this analogy fits. It was less like poker and, and more maybe like gin rummy. We had to kind of you know. <laughs> Swap some things out, you know, try to get it to work. So that's awesome. That, that's a great analogy, gin rummy. Yeah, um, I'm not really a good card game. Yeah, person you're right not now. into cards at all. <laughs> so, in what way is your relationship different from what you learned as children about what relationships were going to be like? Oh. Well, I mean, my parents always argued the entire relationship, and I they never there was never an apology for any kind of disagreements that were going on. And there was, there was some, there were times where probably police should have been called that, that were not. And so that was what I had learned and that's not what I wanted. And so when I decided to, okay, if I'm going to be in a relationship, these are things that are definitely going to not work for me. Um, I've learned really that we create what we want. You know, we don't have to fit anybody else's mold. We very much don't. There are some things that are stereotypical female, stereotypical male that both of us are interchanging. You know, there's certain things that we're just, we're just us and that's who we are. And I think, you know, when we actually did our vows, it was to support each other in our growth. I mean, that was actually part of our vows was to be able to support each other. And so, you know, I think that the biggest thing is to just know Sometimes one of you is having a bad day and you need the extra support, but it shouldn't always be that way. It shouldn't always be one person supporting the other, you know, and I think sometimes he needs a little kick, uh, you know, he needs to kick out of his funk. And that's one of the things like we joke around, like he's a little bit more the spiritual one. And so I'm the one who's grounded. I keep him kind of grounded to, to hear. If not, he'd be floating in the universe somewhere. I'm like, hi, hey, David, come back. And so like, you know, I've learned how to kind of get him back. And sometimes it's a little bit more of a push than he likes, but then he comes back and he's like, oh, hi. Okay. But it, you know, it really is just about supporting each other and kind of sometimes pushing each other a little bit out of comfort zone um, and reminding each other, but it's always in a loving, very respectful way. And it's not what I necessarily learned growing up, but it's what I knew that I could create and what I wanted if I was going to be in a relationship. I think what she's trying to say is is not unlike some other superheroes. I can occasionally be aloof and, and brooding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tony Stark? What? <laughs> Batman? Wait, no. more Batman, right? <laughs> um, yeah, to, to kind of answer that question for me, there, and as, as I'm listening to you ask the question, listening to Steph's response, I, I get the sense that my perception of relationships was uh, in, you know, my early family life, that early exposure was, was really sort of compartmentalized. Um, and, and now we have sort of more of a holistic view. So like that, you know, there was a relationship between, you know, myself and my siblings, my, myself and my parents, all of us as kids and our parents. And we had these sort of perceptions of our parents in terms of their relationship with one another. 
And it seems sort of rote and, and mechanistic. And, and I think one of the challenges that I faced on the side was a sense that, you know, my father uh, didn't engage with me nor really educate me in terms of emotions and the importance of those sort of things. Um, so I guess to a certain degree, I kind of thought that my family life looked good on paper, if that kind of makes any sense, but it, it, it really didn't. And, and again, I, I just think of the, the term synergy again, you know, that we, we had these separate parts, but they weren't really functioning well together. My perception now is that relationships, particularly in terms of marriage and family, are a lot more interconnected and, and dynamic and uh, often entangled. And, and every thought you think, every feeling you have, every action you take ripples out. The, you matter to these people. They pay attention, whether consciously or unconsciously. And there's this sort of dynamic that goes on and everything is interrelated and um, an understanding of that can give you a leg up in terms of addressing issues that sort of need to be healed, wherever those are. So here's a huge segue question for people who are in relationships, um, in, in relationship work. What is your guys' feeling about things like polyamory and multiple partners? That, that's so, I'm, we're laughing because... Yeah, we're laughing because my, my sister just told us that she was polyamorous um, and because we and we actually just had this conversation. Um, so for us, I think that it's it it wouldn't work for us <laughs> for sure. Um, but, you know, for some people, it works. But what I've seen for a lot of people is that that's more of an excuse to cheat. Um, if you're very open and you're able to communicate and that works for you and that's great for that couple. Um, but for us, I just, I couldn't imagine him being with anyone else. Like that's not something I could, I couldn't share him. I, it took me way too long to find him. I'm not letting him go very easily, but I'm kind of like, in some ways I'm to each their own. In some ways it, I've seen it be very difficult for people, um, and break up marriages. So I kind of, I, it's hard to answer that one. Well, for me, I think it comes down to a question of an individual's needs and to what degree they're being met um, further to what degree they are um, self-sufficient and um, and also i think about you know the the degree to which our impulses factor in okay we're complex beings with complex needs um again like we we are very you know like for example we're, we're open in terms of discussing, you know, our sexuality and, and fantasies and, and stuff like that. And past sexual relationships. You know, all, all that stuff is, is fine. But in terms of something like that, like, I, again, you know, people, people choose what they feel is important. And what a person feels is important, I think, depends a, a lot up upon how their needs are being met. I don't want to get too far off the rails here, but... You know, I might ask the question, is there something inherently lacking in your primary relationship that, you know, can can open up your, you know, you to the idea that you could find that somewhere else? I, I don't know. And again, you know, maybe, maybe it's an impulse, like I'm, I'm just too horny for one person, you know, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, if there's something legitimate where you find um, sort of this or value 
in um, in pursuing that sort of type of relationship. Maybe you can segment out, you know, the physical component from the the stuff. I, I don't think that's really possible. You know, I had a, a, a professor in college that referred to it as sex and. It's never just sex, in other words. There's always something else attached. <laughs> so, again, each their own. And, and, again, relationships are an opportunity to learn lessons. I think that's a really big thing. Um, but anytime you are seeking something, I would be careful that it may be an indication of a, a perception of lack. And, and uh, you know, I look for those fundamentals that can fulfill that sense of lack and, and heal it. So you're not looking at relationships as a means to get something. It, relationships should be a, a more about what you can give. And if polyamory, for example, is an opportunity for, hey, I've just got so much love to give, I, it's going to spill. So let me just give. Okay, great. And, and if that's for you, that's fine. Um, I don't think love should be restricted by societal definitions. But we'll yeah, you know, we, we agree that relationships – and human beings are very complex beings, right? And it is difficult enough just to have a committed relationship with another human being, right? There are boundaries, expectations, right? Inner work that has to be done, work on the us that has to be done. And that's very, very difficult, right? Couples just going through the stages of a relationship they don't go through it painlessly. And so to involve another human being, wow, that just adds another just exponential difficulty in that. Not that we're, we're saying that it can't be done. It's just there's so much that has to be focused on as far as boundaries and being able to attend to each person's feelings and and, and anything that comes up that is a, an issue for them, because each person is bringing their own past history into the relationship. And so if you're not attending to every single aspect of each person's history, well, then there's, there's bound to be resentment. There's bound to be anger. There's bound to be feelings of jealousy. And, and you know, when you're talking about that attention, right, and, and affection and you know, and allowing to become that's that was Matthew Kelly, right? No. Oh, I keep getting that wrong. Yeah. David Rico. David Rico. The yes. five A's: attention, affection, acceptance, appreciation, allowing to become primary needs of a human being. Right, and so if that's not being met in a just a one-on-one -on -one relationship, I, I can only imagine how complicated that would be if you're adding another person or another person and. You know, so yeah, we, we totally agree. We're aligned with you guys as far as, you know, how the complexity of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last question. What is it that your partner does that, you know, they love you? Hmm. <laughs> Do you want to go first? <laughs> so you can think of something. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh gosh, you know what? Okay. If I'm going to, if I'm going to be totally honest, um, you know, Steph's um, fortitude and, and insistence, even when I am, uh, shall I say, uh, forgetting myself, um, you know, helps me to recognize that she remembers and, and honors the, um, the, the principle that's at the foundation of our love, which is beyond uh, either of us individually. 
um, if that makes any sense. And and another way I could put it is, um, you know, I I, yeah, I just see a look in her eyes. Um, she looks at me in a way that no one else has ever looked at me. And, uh, you know, it just, it brings me right back to that first connection where I had a sense beyond intellect that this is meant to be. And the best thing I can do is, is let go of, you know, my, my neediness for things to come out ABC, you know, uh, and, and, um, you know, doing that has, has really just allowed me to have a, a much greater sense of fulfillment and contentment in relationships, even in the midst of the ever-present challenges. She's looking at you like that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, it's funny. One of the the things that David did early on the relationship is I was, um, we had had a party, probably New Year's. I think it was New Year's when we started to get, we got together, we were exclusive, and we had had a lot to drink, and we had a lot of friends over, and it was the next day, and I was like, I need to take a nap. I, I just had a little too much fun. And so I went to go lay down. And when I woke up, I opened up the door and he's in my bathroom cleaning the toilet. <laughs> and there I it is. A, there it is. I, True love. <laughs> I took a picture and sent it to my girlfriends. I'm like, I think I found the one. Look at what he's doing. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, that's one of the things I was. And so as I, he was talking, I was thinking about it. You know, a lot of times I have to get up earlier. And so he'll make coffee either the night before, or I'll get up and I'll say, oh, there's no coffee. And he'll get up out of bed to go make me coffee. Or right now we're, you know, we're, we're home. And even this morning, you know, the kids wake up and he doesn't even say anything. He just gets up and goes, gets the kids so that I can sleep a little bit longer. Because like yesterday I did a whole bunch of different podcasts and videos and whatever. So I was exhausted and there was no question of, you know, well, I got up the other day or whatever. It was just, he got up and and took care of things and and hung out with the kids. So, you know, I think those kinds of, those acts of service and, you know, taking care of and, and just coming and giving a hug and playing music. He's, he plays really good guitar. So he'll just take out his guitar and we'll have a little dance party. And I'm like, and that's, that's it to me. That's, that's what life is all about. So, so the picture of him with the guitar, it wasn't just a prop. You actually could play it. Yes. I got some chops. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Stephanie and David, we want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This has been quite a treat. Thank you. And thank you for your perspectives and everything. Please let us let our listeners know where they can get in contact with you. Sure. Well, um, being loved shouldn't hurt. I, um, is on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, I have a book being loved shouldn't hurt available on Amazon. I now have a book and a workbook, both called being loved shouldn't hurt. We have a very large following on our private group called codependency healing and creating healthy relationships. We have about 7,500 people on Facebook. Um, so those would be some good, some good places to start. Well, the website's being loved shouldn't hurt also. Yeah. Being loved shouldn't hurt.com. Yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, when this whole shelter in place lifts, we got to come visit you guys in, in New York. That would be awesome. Heck yeah. You're more than welcome. We've got room for you. You guys should join us. We're doing a daily meditation right now, and it's themed. So it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so today was uh, Major League Baseball Day. Because no one's going out to the ballpark right well, now, right? I, I should qualify. It was actually the Chicago Cubs yeah. theme. Cubs. 
Sorry, guys. So it's kind of funny, but we, you know, we want to unite as as many people as we can to, you know, stay strong during this time. You know, human beings have been sharing their stories for thousands of years to bond, to heal, and to grow. And we hope that by you guys sharing your story, it's enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners. Absolutely. And we're grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you both. Thank you. We want to wholeheartedly thank you, all our listeners, for joining us today and for listening to Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive that is coming up in October, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.